When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Not sure if you're aware of this, but there is an epidemic of unused buildings in cities around the world. Big companies that purchase these buildings during times of economic downturn. Nothing a few offshore investments can't weather. So these companies use their unaccountable funds to buy up these establishments from those who can no longer afford their mortgages. The investors pour their money into the buildings to prepare them for whatever kind of business the new owners have planned. We're talking full renovation. Gutting the place, re-carpet, re-plaster, repaint, renew. The economy is a fickled mistress. Sometimes, just as quickly as these once thriving buildings are bought up and emptied out, they're forgotten about. Maybe the companies that buy them go bankrupt. Perhaps a new opportunity arises and they seek that out instead. It's also possible they simply buy too many of these buildings that they just forget about how many they own. That's monopoly for you. As soon as you've bought up all the oranges and reds, no one gives a damn about the browns. The result is you get these magnificent buildings around city centres, with brand spanking new insides. All eggshell walls and navy blue carpets, devoid of any purpose. The companies don't need to use them for anything. Their money comes from elsewhere. To turn them into anything else would come at a high price, and to sell them on would mean losing the asset, which is costing them nothing, and could be worth a great deal more in the future. So they just sit there, slowly rotting. Or at least they would if it wasn't for me. These companies hire me and my crew to go around and tend to their empty fortresses. We do a bit of cleaning, sweeping up the cobwebs, and making sure black mould doesn't have a chance to grow. We also check the building's plumbing and electrics are still in workable order, if and when the place is put back into use. However, what they really hire us for is a kind of unspoken responsibility – we have the added bonus of scaring off the miscreants who infest these pristine places. And we aren't talking about rats or insects here. We can easily poison those. I'm talking about much larger vernum, far more hazardous to the market value of the property, squatters. Squatters, for those of you who don't know, They are people who take up residence in a place without the consent of the property owner. Now, there are all kinds of squatters. You get the hippie libertarians, free the whales, damn the man types. This group talks big, pretending to know the laws and threatening to use daddy's lawyers when we tell them the party's over. 
but one look at Big Greg and they're usually out the door trouble-free. Next, you have the homeless. I kind of feel bad for this group. They need a place to shelter. There is no support network to help them out. And there's inadequate protection from the government to prevent them slipping through the cracks. A lot of them suffer from mental illness or drug addiction. Often both. And this makes them volatile and unpredictable. They're the reason we wear stab vests. One of my guys got bitten by one of these people a while back when we were cleaning out an office block that never was. And he developed a nasty case of hepatitis C. Poor bastard. Expensive mess, that one. God bless insurance. Things can get dicey when we are dealing with mental illness or drugs. Most of the time when things go south, we just step outside. We call the cops and let them deal with the situation. Then we install extra security measures around the building and be done with it. Look, if it was up to me, I'd use these buildings as shelters, a place for people to get their lives back together. But I guess we would require permits and licences and paperwork. It's a lot of trouble. The companies can't be bothered with all of that. Not when there's money to be made. Anyway, I don't get paid to enact social change. I get paid to evict, secure and repaint. Maybe if these groups didn't make such a vile mess of the buildings, the owners would be more likely to accept them. I guess picking up after yourself doesn't factor high up on the list of priorities when you're out of your mind on heroin. A chance to turn their rotted brains to a task. But they seem much more content in tearing up the carpets, scratching up the plaster and digging away at the concrete. I have no idea what they're trying to find. They probably don't either. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Most of the defacement is graffiti, and most of that are lame tags and bad drawings of genitalia. Every now and again, a real artist will show up. It almost feels like a shame to blast their work off the eggshell. All the other art, it just feels like a waste of time. I guess it must have been about a year ago that I started noticing all the skulls cropping up. At first I thought it was the work of some tagger with a horror fetish. Three skulls linked by some kind of rope, mouths open, screaming at each other. Creepy, sure, but it wasn't the weirdest thing I've ever seen. What really stuck out was the medium. The logo was spray-painted in some buildings, while others it was scratched into the walls. There were crude versions smeared on the basement floors in food waste, or in a few occasions, human excrement. 
We had to call the police a few times for the symbols alone when we found the skulls painted in blood. The police cordoned off the buildings and brought in their crime scene guys. It mostly came back as animal blood. Rat, pigeon, cat, dog. A couple of times it did test as human. Never any bodies, but enough blood to suggest there must have been at least one. The newspapers got hold of the story. I got my name in the paper and everything. They theorised it was some kind of homeless, drug-addicted cult operating out of these buildings. There was a standard circus after the moral panic. Must have been a good time to own a security company or CCTV wholesaler, but nothing came of it. When the police failed to link the skulls to anyone, the media got bored and moved on to their next outrage. When I say these symbols appeared in abandoned buildings, I mean abandoned. That was the other strange thing about the skulls. They always appeared in buildings showing clear signs of squatters, but there were never any squatters to be found. Their sleeping mats, tinned food, clothes, even wraps or whatever they were shooting or smoking, but never any people. I don't remember ever getting really scared working on the job before those damned skulls turned up. Even the crustiest junkie always felt more like an annoyance than a real threat. These buildings felt alive. That's the only way I can put it. I could be walking through a room with vaulted ceilings, with blue sky pouring light into the room, and still felt claustrophobic, like the walls were actually breathing. I'd be power-washing the carpet and feel a presence creep up my neck. I would spin around and nothing was there. The boys didn't want to admit they were spooked, and I'd be damned if I was going to admit it to them. But we wordlessly agreed to start working in pairs, as we checked the buildings and cleaned up after the missing squatters. Funny that a job involving evicted drug addicts could get even more grim when the drug addicts weren't even there. It must have been three months after the skull showed up that I lost my first guy. We didn't even notice Harrison was gone until the end of the day when we were getting ready to drive back to the depot. I found his power washer on the second floor, but there was no sign of Harrison anywhere. We combed the building, calling out for him, but he never replied. After an hour of walking around that wretched place, we gave up. We decided that Harrison must have had something to do and skipped out on us. Truth be told, none of us much wanted to be in that place looking for him past sunset. When Harrison didn't show up the next day, I should have been angry. Instead, I felt this deep, gut-wrenching dread. I called his home, but no one answered. Tried three or four times, but nothing. The other guy shared some nervous jokes about it. Lazy bastard and so on. But we knew something was wrong. I knew Harrison. I knew his wife. She was a full-time mother. She was home most of the time when she wasn't carting their kid around to school or clubs or whatever kids do. That evening, I decided to call by Harrison's place on the way home. 
The day he went missing, he had carpooled with one of the other guys so his wife could use the car. Their car was still there, right in the driveway. I rang the doorbell. Nothing. I knocked. I shouted through the letterbox. Nothing. I walked around the side of the house, peering through the windows, careful of the nosy neighbours. The TV was on inside the living room. Kids shows. But no one was watching them on the sofa. I walked around to the back of the house, through the gate into the garden. The hose pipe was lying in the middle of the lawn, spewing water out into the marsh that had formed around the nozzle. The back door was hanging wide open. My heart stopped when I walked into the kitchen. I felt unseen eyes watching me as I entered the house. There smeared into the floor in thick mud, the skulls. Of course I called the police. They arrived and they questioned me. I told them the same thing I've just told you. They called the other guys in for questioning too. Got statements from the neighbours, Harrison and his wife's parents. No one had seen or heard anything from the family since the day Harrison disappeared. It was like they evaporated. Things started to unravel pretty quickly after this. Four of my guys quit that week, two more the week after. They all said they had other jobs coming up, that they wanted to spend more time with their families. Whatever. I knew the truth. I could see it in their faces. They were scared. After a while, it was just me and Big Greg on the jobs. No one else wanted to work for me. I even tried to call in favours from some of my friends in similar jobs. But everyone had an excuse. Word travels fast. Superstition faster. I guess looking back, I should have listened to the signs and called it a day on the business. Refused to go into those buildings or send anyone else into them. But a contract is a contract and I've got bills to pay. A mortgage, my pension, so I don't have to clean junky shit off the walls when I'm 80. But it was my responsibility to call it quits, so I don't care what anyone says. It was my fault what happened to Greg. We were going through one of the old buildings just outside the city centre, which for legal reasons I will not name here. Greg and I had to go room by room alone. It being just the two of us, to go around in a pair would have simply taken too long, and time is money. Anyway, we hadn't seen as much as a crackhead for months. We didn't even bother wearing stab vests at this point. This place must have been used for some kind of commune. In the lobby alone, I counted 37 sleeping mats, all in pretty good condition. Also reserves of food and drink stacked up on one side. Enough for a small army. Whoever had settled here knew enough to get past the CCTV outside. They must have cut their way inside and disabled the alarm. How they managed to do that and move their small community into place, I still have no idea. It was near the end of the day. We had removed most of the stuff, thrown it into the skip I had rented. I was taking care of the main lobby. 
Greg was in the back clearing out the bathroom. There was something about this building. It felt dark. Now, I don't mean there was no light. I mean it felt like a pit, a void. It was almost as if the building was right on the verge of speaking, like a scream was being held in the walls, ready to be released at any moment. The place pulsed. You could almost hear it. Almost. I finished my job as quickly as possible. I called for Greg. No answer. I remember standing there, just listening to nothingness. I called out again. Nothing. I could have cried. I mean, I could literally feel myself welling up as I started walking towards the bathroom. By the time I reached the door, there was a lump in my throat that I hadn't felt since I was eight years old, lost and alone in a theme park. I pushed the door open. There in the corner of the bathroom, huddled in a ball, was Greg. All I could make out at first, apart from his bulk, were his eyes. They were pinned open and wild. His jaw was moving, but no sound was coming out. I stopped at the door. I wanted to go in and help him, but I couldn't force my feet to take me inside. It was as though every instinct in my body was preventing me from going inside. He looked at me. His eyes were pleading and terrified. The most awful expression of anguish I have ever seen. I backed up. I was going to tell him that I was going to get help, but I barely noticed I just kept saying sorry, over and over. And before I realised it, I was out on the street. The fresh air hit me and I came to my senses. I sprinted back into the building, through the lobby, up to the bathroom door and threw it open. Greg was gone. One by one I swung open the cubicle doors. Sure enough, etched into the wall the furthest stall. The skulls, screaming at me. The police listened to my story under raised eyebrows. It wasn't as if they didn't believe me, just that it didn't explain anything. They searched the building, photographed the bathroom, including the skulls. They told me they would contact Greg's family and let me know if anything turned up. He never did. Greg had a wife and two kids. The police found the youngest one home alone. Poor kid. She'd already tucked herself up in bed by the time the police arrived. As far as I know, she's in foster care now. After Greg, I put in a call to my contract holders. No amount of money could make me send anyone else into one of those buildings again. I was passed around to legal teams, dodged and ducked like the plague. It was like they wanted nothing to do with me, not even to hear me out what I had to tell them. Eventually I got through to someone. He sounded high up. I didn't get his name, not sure if it would end well for me to write it down anyway. After all the threats of civil suits coming from the legal teams, it was refreshing to speak to someone who sounded calm and not condescending. He asked me about what had happened, He listened to everything I told him. 
After I spilled my guts, he asked me about the state of the buildings. I was confused at first. He asked me if they were fit for purpose. I told him they were. He thanked me for my services and told me to expect a generous severance package. He told me not to mention the names or locations of any of the buildings my team and I had worked on for the last six months to anyone. If I failed to do so, defamation and being sued would be the least of my worries. He asked if I understood, and I told him I did. He ended the call without warning. My cheque came in the mail two days later. Generous really fails to do justice to describe the amount. It was enough to pay the guys who quit on me for the rest of their contracts. Least I could do. And it was enough to pay my mortgage too. And then some. It wasn't just the money that kept me quiet all this time though. I realised I've been terrified ever since those skulls first turned up. Just waiting for something awful to happen. Some kind of catastrophe. It hasn't come yet. Life has gone on. People have forgotten. Harrison and Greg and their families, they are still missing. But their cases have gone cold. I guess I just didn't want to bring it down on myself by acknowledging it. Whatever it was. At this point, I just want answers. I want to know what took my men, what the skulls were, and who created them. How was it all connected? I can't find anything on the internet about the symbol. No one seems to know anything about it. I've drawn crude sketches, even contacted the police about their photos of the symbol, but they say those records are locked. They won't tell me any more than that. Over the next few months, some of my ex-employers have been using their buildings again. And as far as I can tell, nothing out of the ordinary has happened. There are no more missing people or skulls appearing. From what I've heard, business is better than ever for those places. Thriving, even. I'm not sure if that means anything. I'm not sure of much these days. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 